Well, I'm going to just jump right in and um, start today's message, if that's all right. Because I wasn't one of those good students in school. I was one of those kids that, um, man, I would go to school every day. And my goal and my target was to make a hundred by the end of the day. Now, to tell you the truth, that happened very seldom on one test. There would be some days I would get a 40 on my spelling, you know, a 30 on my English, and then I only needed another 30 in my math to make my hundred. But you guys may be the ones where you can get a hundred at every one of them. I wasn't there. But hopefully by the end of this service, you're going to understand what I believe the Lord sent me here to teach or to share today. All right, I'm going to read two stories and then we'll jump right into it. And then at the end of this service, we're going to pray and anoint over every person in here. I believe it is utmost important. And you say, well, Cricket, I'm not going to school. Well, every day this is important. You know, the Bible says that we are marked and we are sealed by God. And one of the representations of that is the uh, being anointed by oil. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when Samuel anointed Saul, said he put the oil on top of his head, ran down his face, covered his beard, said he became another man. How many of you wives in here want your husband to become that other man you know they can be? Amen? <laughs> and that's, that's amazing. You say, well, he can't ever change. Well, you just don't know what the anointing on somebody's life can do. All right? But we're going to be anointing every person that would like to be anointed here today. I believe it's of utmost importance. I believe that's what I believe the Lord sent me here to do today. And at the end of the service, we're just going to symbolically anoint each person with oil representing the mark of God that they carry into a world that doesn't know Him. Now, you know, you got to understand that we are in the most marked generation that has ever walked the face of the planet right now. When I was growing up, a tattoo meant either you were in jail, you were had a past, or you were in the military. All right? If you saw somebody that had tattoos, that's what you are. They've been in jail. Or you saw that they were in the military. Or, man, that dude used to be wild. Now... If you're under 40 and you don't have a tattoo, you're the weirdo. And you know, I don't have a tattoo. Um, reason why I don't was simply because I was always afraid I was going to get a daughter one day that would ask me, Dad, can I have a tattoo? And if I had one, they would say, because you got one. So I never tattooed myself up. My brother's got several, <laughs> all right? But me, I never got one because I didn't want to have to tell my daughters, you can't do what I did, you know. So I don't have any. It's crazy because I married a woman that thinks the same way about it. But the truth is, this generation, every, almost every single adult under the age of 40, they say statistically linked to it, has a tattoo, it has a mark. Well, that's not by coincidence. If you read in the book of Revelations, when the end of times gets near, the marks on people become so common and familiar that when the enemy introduces or the spirit of Antichrist introduces the mark of the beast, it's not going to catch everybody off guard. If you would have thrown a mark of the beast in America in 1940, man, you would have had all of America turn against. Uh, but that's a, the devil. Now, though, you introduce a mark to this generation and it's normal. Oh, just put it beside this one. Or <laughs> put it beside that one. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, the book of Revelations talks about marks. How many of you guys have heard of the mark of the beast? You've heard of that one. All right, but also in Revelation chapter 7, it says that 
every person on the planet is going to be marked. You're either going to have the mark of the beast or you're going to have the mark in the seal of God. And I want you to know something. That's what makes the difference. My children walk into a public school every day and I don't have to be all up in knots and all up in stress and all up in worry. Are they going to be okay? Because I don't send them in unprepared. We send them in marked with the seal of God on their life. And we pray every day. We anoint them every day and they go into that war zone and they don't come out being changed by the school. We declare they're going to go in and change that school for the kingdom of God. We're going to take back. But understanding that every person in here carries a mark. You're either going to carry the mark and the seal of God on your life or you're going to be prey or a target for the enemy Ending in result, one day the Bible says that uh, in Revelations that if you receive the mark of the beast, that you're eternally damned. There's no way to get back to heaven. There's no way to get back right with God. So, I'm wanting to teach today the principle of how to make sure or how to uh, mark-proof your family and your household. The terminology is called this. Um, how as a, it's called household salvation. All right, that's what I want to talk about today is household salvation. So to do that, I'm going to pull two stories together, and then we're going to talk about some things and break it down. Is that all right? You're going to stay with me for a few minutes. All right. Starting in Luke chapter 16, I want to read this story first. Luke chapter 16 in verse. 19 says this, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared some, some pulse-custerly. Y'all can say however you want to say that word, all right? Should have printed out a different translation for me. All right? every, in other words, this dude was dressing fly and looking good every day, all right? Said, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gates, desiring to be fed with the crumbs from which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels of Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. All right, now I'm going to stop to try to break down. So I'm not going to go into the theology side of where they're at right now. But where it is, is before Jesus had died, when the righteous or the saints passed, they didn't go to um, heaven like we will, because Jesus has already went and prepared a place. But before then, they went to what theologian in the Scripture refers to as Abraham's bosom. Another word is paradise. When a believer or someone that was you know, uh, righteous before the Lord, when they died, they went to what is called Abraham's bosom. It was like a paradise. But across from there, here in this story, we'll bring up to him, there was a great gap, a gulf is what it called. And it said, on the other side of that was Hades. And Hades, another word, or another word calls it hell. Another word for that is, um, it's called, um, I guess, a Ghananaean, or it's referenced as a flaming 
trash heap is where what Jesus made reference back to it. In other words, when these two guys died, there was a rich man and there was a beggar and both died. And when both died, they stepped into eternity. And when they stepped into eternity, we're going to call it heaven and hell today because we're not going to get into all the theologians of um, purgatory and all that stuff with other it's before Jesus prepared a place all right there was a place that the righteous went to and it was called paradise or Abraham's bosom and now you could see one from the other in these places now when you die you're going to go to heaven if you're saved I want you to know something if you're not saved you're still going to hell that's the reality of what I want to bring up to today it's amazing that 76% of the church today believe in a heaven, but they do not believe in hell. And what I want you to understand walking out of here today is for sure, if you know nothing else, that heaven is real. And aren't you glad that there's a heaven that we're going to get to spend eternity in? But you also must be aware that hell is real too. There is a place called hell, Hades, that is unbelievably the worst place imaginably that a person or any other creature could ever uh, go to. And it's real. You need to be aware that there is a real hell. Now, what's crazy is a lot of believers want to believe there's a heaven, but they don't want to believe there's a hell, so they just kind of ignore the fact. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about hell when Jesus was sitting here teaching. It's amazing how churches don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, the reality is this. Every single person in here, when your time expires, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, we all got an expiration date put on our fleshly bodies that if the Lord tarries and doesn't return, every single person in here has an expiration date attached to their life. And that expiration date means at some point, the Bible says it's appointed unto every man once to die. At some point, if the Lord tarries beyond your lifespan of years, you're going to step out of this life and step into what is called eternity. And when you step out of this life and into eternity, you are going to spend eternity either in a place called heaven or in a place called hell. Whether you want to believe it or not. You don't have to believe that there are molecules in this room of, of oxygen and hydrogen and carbon dioxide mixed together and floating millions of them at a time in this room and, you know, all around us and everywhere. And when you take a breath, they come in and bring life to your body. And when you exhale, it exhales uh, carbon dioxide poison that your body can't live on. You don't have to believe all that. But the very fact that you're breathing doesn't change the fact that it's real. Does this make sense? Heaven is real. And I want you to know, heaven is amazing. Is I mean, it's, the Bible goes into great detail talking about what heaven is. And, you know, a lot of people's misconception of what heaven is. They think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to sit on clouds and play harps. That's not heaven. Man, you were born and created for heaven. The very things that you enjoy and like to do now, you're going to still enjoy and like to do there. Think about it. You're going to get to do all this and live life there with no sorrow, with no sin, without any pain, no sickness. But your life will still have purpose. 
And that will be eternity. But the truth is, heaven is real. And the Bible says the, there's pearly gates. And the Bible says there are mansions throughout. And the throne of God. The Bible says the streets are made of gold. You need to know this. There's still gold in heaven today. I don't care what the world has to teach about just eternity being this existence. And no, we're going to a place called heaven, the believers are, that the streets are made of gold. And man, it is a place that you were created to exist and thrive in. But there's also a place in hell. And just like the gold in heaven is real, the fire in hell is real. There are certain things in life that you've got to come to terms with. Number one is this. There's gold. Gold in heaven. It's a place worth going to. Number two, there's truth in the Word of God. And the truth is what sets people free. You are not going to get free. You're not going to get saved. And you're not going to fulfill what God's put without God's Word actively at work in your life. It's amazing how many believers and Christians try to fulfill the purpose of God in their life without God's Word being a part of their life. You need to understand that God's Word is what God uses to change everything about your situation. Now you say, well, Cricket, I wish my husband would change. Well, nagging him's not going to do it. If that would have worked, he would have already been changed. Husbands, wouldn't you agree? All right? Nagging's not the solution. You know, uh, the silent treatment is not the solution. What, 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 uh, Pastor Julie, if you wasn't here with her, that was the funniest. What she was saying, you know, my husband made me so mad to her. I wouldn't even want to talk to him. And then I realized that's exactly what he wanted me to do. So quit talking to him. You know, some of us, you know, think we can give him the silent treatment. Tell you, you mean to tell you what will change your mate? The Word of God. The Word of God will change any situation you apply it to. Let me to show you how the Word of God works. It works like this. All right. In Genesis 1, verse 2, it says this. It says that the earth was void and without order. Another, uh, the words come out of uh, taco, or it's, and there's two Greek words that rhyme. But it means this, chaos and disorder. It says the world was full of chaos and disorder. And it said, and darkness covered the face of the earth. Now, let me ask you this. Is there any area of your life that is chaotic and disordered. Let me, I want to tell you the secret how to change that part of your life. Right, any area, because that is the work of the enemy, the work of the devil, and if you get into all the theologians uh, go into the thing, what God, God didn't create the world in chaos and disorder. He creates everything perfect. The devil and the war and everything that took place when Lucifer was cast out of heaven and he came to earth like a ball of burn of fire. Science calls that a meteorite. The Bible says it was Lucifer. All right. Come in. So science never, you realize science never disproves the Bible. The Bible and the, and the science work hand in hand. Used to, you know, everybody tried to separate them. But what we have found out is science always proves what the word of God says. It just takes it a little while to get there. Alright, they've actually got proof where something flew out of space and hit this earth and killed all the dinosaurs. Well, it's been in the Bible the whole time. Alright, it's amazing what the Word of God can do in life. But it says, the enemy brought in chaos and disorder. And darkness covered the face. So what part of your life is so dark? Let me tell you the solution to it. And it said, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Man, there are so many of us as believers that come into places like this or, and the, the Spirit of God is, is present. And I want you to know that the presence of the Holy Spirit is here right now. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together and God inhabits the praise of His people. 
God's presence is in this place. But the truth of the matter is, in a lot of our lives, it's just hovering. It's hovering. God's present, but He's not doing. And in Genesis, the Bible says, that the works of the enemy had prevailed on the earth, but it wasn't because there was a lack of the presence of God. The Spirit hovered. But it says it wasn't until God said that things began to change. What you need to understand is this. God's never left you, never forsaken you. The Holy Spirit's always with you. But if you're not giving Him anything to work with, your situations aren't changing. It was the Word of God that was interjected into that darkness and chaos that allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to work what God had said. Does that make sense? Say, I've learned this in my life. Anywhere there's chaos, disorder, or darkness, I know the enemy's trying to cause this. I get in the Word and I find that because the Holy Spirit's with me everywhere I go. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I get in the Word and I begin to introduce what God said about this situation and it empowers the Holy Spirit to go to work to bring about what God said is that my life is supposed to be like. So that is a secret to turning that area of your life around is, man, God, just help me. God, do this. God, well, get some word that he can work with. Start getting the word in that situation. Get the word in your finances. Get the word in your health. And the Holy Spirit loves to perform what the word was sent to do. You say, Cricket, I need a healing. Find out what the Bible... You you should get more healing scriptures out of the Word because the more you let the Holy Spirit have to work with, the greater the work He does. Amen? So that's the secret to turning situations around. But here, in this story, we've got a rich man and a poor man and both passed and stepped into eternity. And this is the truth of every person in here today. Every person in here today is going to one day step into eternity and I would love to put on rosy colored sunglasses and look at all of you today and believe that you're all going to go to heaven. But that's not necessarily what the Bible says. The Bible says there are actually going to be some people shocked, confused, and outright indignant about why they got to go to hell when they thought they were going to heaven. And so today, before we get into yeah, I want to pull out... You know, every person in here is going to step into eternity and you're going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And it's kind of like this. I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better. I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) I've been lost and I've been found. Found is better. Uh, I mean, when I wasn't right with the Lord, man, one of the greatest fears I had was I was going to go and die and to go to hell. And the truth was this. I was. If I would have died, I would have went to hell because hell's real. But the truth of the matter is this. No one has to go to hell. Man, hell's a horrible place. As a matter of fact, um, you know, some people choose to be ignorant about the fact of hell. And they, they don't want to believe that a loving God would never create a place like hell where hell is so bad. The Bible says the flames will never go out. It says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine the pain and torment that it would take weeping and gnashing of teeth constantly? The Bible says this about it. it. says there's worms there that eat and bite, but they never consume and they never die. So there's something chewing on you and eating on you and, and torment. And the fire never goes out, man. We were in a um, heat wave in Alabama this week and heat index was like 118. And man, I, Wednesday, the reason why we didn't have Bible study Wednesday night is I left the job Wednesday about 4 completely 
in heat exhaustion, threw up twice on the way home, and man, got real faint, started in spots, so I just couldn't teach, so I told Jen, I need you to post this, because uh, I'd gotten too hot, but all the way home, I was thinking, God, thank you, Lord, I'm not going to hell, because if if 118 is this hot, I can't imagine what hell's going to be like, alright? And so, going into what we're talking about today is, man, you, if nothing else comes out of this service, I want to ask you, Man, where are you going? Or do you know? Because if you don't know, chances are you're going to hell. If there's a question in your life, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? Let me just answer that for you. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Because if you're not sure, if you don't know that Jesus died on the cross for you, and you're not sure that He paid for your sin, and you've not accepted the price that He's paid, and you don't believe that He died and rose for you, the very fact that you don't know and believe that is the very fact that you're going to hell. And the thing about it is, I don't want anyone in here to die when you walk out of here over the next day, week, month, years of your life and go to hell if we have a chance to let you know there's somewhere else you can go to. And it's heaven. I traded my fear of hell for my fear of the Lord a long time ago. I, one of the biggest things the enemy used to fight me with is, am I going to go to hell? And the thing about it is now you don't know the peace it brings when you know you're going to heaven. I don't have to worry about what the economy is going to do. I don't have to worry about what wars are going to take place. I know this. If something were to happen tomorrow, I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior for eternity. And that is full on peace that you can have in your life. So let's talk about this. You know, it says... There were two men. One was rich and dressed nice and all that, and one was poor. Uh, Pastor Jerry mentioned it. I was talking earlier. Man, the other day, the girls, I picked them up from school, and they got in the car. They just come out of gym class, and their gym class plays music in it, and they were singing a song. And uh, the song they were singing, it's not necessarily Christian, so all you religious people, um, cover your ears for a few minutes, okay? They, I, my kids don't go to Christian school. They go to public school. And I made this decision. If there's ever a day they don't, serve the Lord in a public school, they'll be going to Christian school. If I can't find a Christian school, well, they're going to get homeschooled. This is important enough to me. I'm going to make sure. All right, so right now they're serving the Lord. And so we're in a public school, and um, they get out and they sing this song. And I said, girls, I said, do you know who sings that song? And uh, let me tell you, I'm going to play this song for you. Uh, we're going to play the music, let you hear it, but I'm not going to show you who's singing it. Go ahead and play that for me, the first one. See if anybody knows this one. You turn up just a little bit. Anybody heard this? Pickup trucks and four wheel drive have been my thing since '99. When Tim McGraw was all we ever sang. Have I heard this before? A long tan leg and Daisy Dukes and a cut off suburban dirt on boots. Lord, my Lord. Okay, now, I want you to bring the video because tell them who's singing it. Go, keep it playing. Keep now drag it across and take the logo off. You guys back there? Yeah, take the logo off. You got the logo button on. Alright, come on, move, grab it, and just slide it across. I want y'all to see who this is. Y'all see him? 
I'll drive a dirt road. Now, how many of you guys pictured that guy singing that song? Man, you talking about a book that don't match the cover. That Eddie Blanco, he ever song, he said he's probably the greatest country music singer on the planet. But, man, his book don't judge his cover, does it? Isn't that a trip? All right, here's another one. Play the next one. This is for the older folks in the room. Start the next song. Song number two for me. It's Blanco. Uh, don't remember that. He's the gangsterous looking black dude I ever seen. But he sings country. He's the best country singer I know. Because I just blew my girl's socks off. I'm like, hey, hey, don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. She says, there's the one I love the most. How many guys know this song? Oh, now we know who's going to hell. Right. <laughs> I'll play it. Right, listen to the song. Get a picture in your mind. So who sings it? All right, bring it across and show it to us. Never would have guessed Hootie and the Blowfish looked like that, did you? Ain't that a trick? Can't judge a book by its cover. All right, let's go one more. All right, we got one more for you. All right, move it back off. And just let her cry. Slide it back sideways. All right, bring up the next song for me. All right, I want you to, and all of this for the real older people in here today. All right. Start the next song for me. Start Journey. <laughs> Are you guys there? It's the third tab over. Move the whole window over. Grab it and move it over that way. There you go. Come down. You lost your mouse. You see it? You don't want to close it. You just want to move it. So you can hit the next player. All right, so grab the top bar. Yeah. No. Grab the top bar. All right, it's not on here right now. There it is. Go back. Right there it was. Right there. Now grab that. Uh-uh. Take the logo off. All right. Where you at? Right up, down. Right there, up. We'll go away. Well, yeah, Journey. How many guys know the band Journey? All right. That's our song, right? How many guys, um, you know, when you hear Journey sing, man, that's one of your glam rock bands of all time. But when you hear the music, and now my girls, I was like, I was going through all these with the girls. I was like, listen to this song, girls. And they we played Journey. And, you know, they come out singing. I was like, girls, what do you think this guy looks like? And they're like, Dad, we know that's a white guy. And I said, no, girls, he's Filipino. And he can't even speak English. You know what I'm saying? The lead singer for Journey, remember, he passed. And they found this internet sensation, this kid from the Philippines, that they put his voice side to side. And they, it was almost to the exact point identical. So they hired a kid that's Filipino, can't even speak English, and brought him over when the lead singer for Journey died. And, man, most fans never even knew they changed lead singers. And the kid can't even speak English, but you see him, and he's a, a young Filipino kid singing all this glam rock. You can't judge that book by its cover. And I did all that just for fun for a minute because a lot of times the enemy can convince us that the story we just read right there, you know, when you start reading, it talks about this guy dressed up nice and has all this stuff in life. It's real easy to judge a book by its cover. And you would have thought in this story, by certain people's circumstances, 
looking at the outs looking at it from the outside looking in, you probably could have picked who was going to heaven and who was going to hell. And a lot of times that's what we like to do as a church is we let outer circumstances depict who's right with God and who's not. That's why when a lot of people start going through difficult situations or difficulty or hard times, instantly a lot of real religious people that don't really know what the Word of God says start saying, oh, they must be not be serving the Lord, or oh, they must have some issues going on in their life, because if they didn't, God wouldn't be allowed. I want you to know something, man, that... God is God when we have and when we don't. And you can't judge a book by its cover. And if you think to be right with God means your life has to be perfect and not have any issues, man, you're just one major upset down the road from losing your salvation. Because you can't judge a book by its cover. As a matter of fact, the Bible says here this rich guy looked like he was living life right This poor guy had it going on wrong when they died. The poor guy went to heaven. The rich guy went to hell. I want you to know something. Just because you're fighting and you're battling things in your life right now does not mean God's not on your side. You got to get that down. You got to get that in. Okay? You got to know. Man, I'm so thankful that I serve a God that loves me enough that He will allow circumstances to bring me to my knees at times because I'm going to be honest with you. It's easier to live for God when things are rough than it is when things are good. That's why this economy thing changing in the nation right now doesn't scare me at all because it excites me. That means people that have been able to make it without God in their life are about to find out they need God too. And circumstances can change. So I just wanted, when I was preparing, I wanted, I felt like the Holy Spirit needed me to tell somebody this. That just because the devil's fighting you don't mean God's not with you or for you or on your side. He is involved in your situation. And you give God long enough, and what He does is this. He turns that page. Aren't you glad that you don't judge a book by its cover, but you also don't judge a story by its page? Because there's a page that God's going to turn in your part, in your life, in your situation, in your marriage, in your job, that when it turns, the story changes. Because here now, we had, at the beginning of this story, we had a guy that was begging for crumbs. And when you read on down, we find the man that was getting begged is now begging the guy for a drop of water. Circumstances don't determine where you are spiritually. You've got to know this. And so the enemy would love to make you think when things are wrong, God's mad at you, God's done something to you, God's, you know, not but no. The enemy just hates you. He's going to fight you every day he can. But God's for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? The Bible said. So let's read this story. It says this. It says in verse 24, it says, And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip his tip of his finger. Now, who's become the beggar? The guy that had it all is begging for the man that was begging for crumbs to take a dip of his water and put it on his tongue. And this is what it says. It says, it says, but Abraham said, son, remember that if your, if your lifetime, that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he, he is comforted and you are tormented. So you need to make sure that just because you've got nice things and good things going on and life is easy for you and sir, doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You gotta know this. 
You've got to know that circumstances don't determine eternity. And if things are bad in your situation, don't mean you're going to hell. Circumstances don't determine. So let's talk about what does determine. It says, all right, so it says, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here, uh, from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So this guy lived life how he wanted to, and it was a good life. But when he died, he found out there's more to life than living this life. There's eternity that you're going to walk into. And when he got into eternity, he found out, man, there was nothing there for him but torment. That's what hell will be. And then this is what it says. I, I let, he said, man, is there any way you can make this stop? Just put a drop of water on my tongue. Help this stop. I want you to know, if you don't make it to heaven, there's nothing that can be done to change your situation for you when you get into eternity. There's no way out of hell. If you leave this earth and go into eternity and you don't go to heaven, but you go to hell, that's what eternity will be. And there's no changing. You need to know this because the reality is there are people in here today that are maybe things are like this rich man. Things seem to be good. But just because things are good doesn't mean that you're right. Matthew, uh, let's talk about hell just one more time. Why, why would a loving God make a place like hell if He's all love and all good? Let's go to Matthew 25, verse 41 real quick. I need you to see why there is a place called hell. And it's real. In Matthew 25, verse 41, it says this. The whole preface of the chapter coming down, it says that God's going to one day come and take the sheep and the goats. And He's going to separate the sheep to the left, oh, right and the goats to the left. And it said this, he's going to come to his sheep. He's going to say, I've seen what you've done. I've, well, you've known me. We've done all this. Come, enter into paradise and receive your reward. Then he looks to the goats and he tells the goats, I never knew you. Depart from me. And it says this. He says, what do you mean? Depart from me. He says, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And he's like, what do you mean that's going to happen to us? Man, we went to church. We prophesied in your name. We did all these works in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And then he tells us in verse 41 where they're going. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. God never created hell for human inhabitation. God never intended for a human to ever walk into the gates of hell. Real clear in the Bible, Jesus said, the gates of hell were made for the devil and his angels. One translation says his demons. One translation says his followers. Alright, so this place was created because the devil and the demons are so bad. God made a place where they will get their just punishment for all of eternity. And this is, what kind of punishment do you think the devil deserves? What would the punishment be for aborting two million babies in America's soul? What would the punishment be for all the rape and incest and molestation that has happened in innocent lives? What would the punishment be for the murder and the abuse and things that we see? All of that is, is started by the, by the father of lies and the, the Lord, the devil. So what punishment do you think that deserves? That's what hell is.
a place that is a just punishment for all the ungodly and injustice things that the devil brought into there. You say, well, well, if God made hell for a devil and angels, then no person's going to go. Did you know God made Adam and Eve to live forever and never die? But when the devil stepped into the garden, that changed. God made heaven for us, and He made hell for the devil and the demons. And when the devil stepped into the picture, that changed because now those that are not right with the Lord don't go to heaven. They go to the same place that the devil goes, which is hell. And that's a reality. You have to know that. All right, but then it says it was made for them. So the torment that was there, the rich man was saying, please just give me a drop, a drop. I've been broke and then I've been real broke. Have you guys ever been broke and real broke? All right, when you're broke, all right, when you're broke, you may not have $100 to make the light bill. When you're real broke, man, just getting one more dollar to get through the day to get your car down the road where it's supposed to be makes all the difference. This guy wasn't just in torment. He was in real torment because he wasn't needing, you know, a glass of water. He'd come to the point where I just need a drop to help get through this situation. Hell's bad. Okay. And the Bible says that Lazarus was put in Abraham's bosom or paradise and they could see another. Now, let me read the rest of the story here because it brings out what I believe God has put in every one of your hearts here today. It says in verse 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send to him, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that may have test that may testify to them. Say, I have five brothers, let him go and testify to them. Least they also come to, least they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, have, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. He said, no father, no, um, and he said, no father Abraham, but if one goes from them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, Abraham said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one, even though he raises from the dead. In other words, the rich guy said this. He said, to God, Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers. This place is so bad. I may not can turn my situation around, but I want to do whatever I can do to stop my family from coming to this same place. Man, that's what an unbeliever believes, wants in his heart. An unbeliever doesn't want his family to go down. How much more should believers want their family in heaven? I've been pastoring for a while now. And I can honestly say I've never met a mother, a father, a husband, or a grandparent. But say, I don't want my family to go to heaven one day. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest challenges or needs or prayers in our lives once we become believers is that we don't leave anyone we love here behind. That's what God, the Bible says God's put eternity in every man's heart. And so I know every family member in here has a heart that their family does not go to hell like other unbelievers will have to go to one day. And that's a gift given by God in your life. Just like this guy, he was in hell, and now he couldn't turn his situation around, so he was saying, you know what, send somebody to tell him, and you need to know this. Abraham said, even if someone comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe. If they're not willing to believe what the Word of God says. Signs and wonders don't save people. 
It's the word of God that people must hear. You know, a lot of times we don't want to take a step out in faith and, and tell somebody about the Lord because we're afraid that what if they ask us to pray for something and God don't do it? Or what if that's quite... I want you to signs and wonders don't do it. It's the Word of God. He said the Moses' words, which wrote the, New Te- the Old Testament, first five books of the Old Testament, and the words of the prophet, which is the rest of the Old Testament, is what they had. says, that's enough for them to believe. Well, if that's enough for them to believe, that should be something that we have at work in our life, is what the Word of God says. Amen? And quit depending on signs and wonders. There's things you need to know. Number one is, is there's gold in heaven. Number two, you need to know there's fire in hell. Number three, you need the truth in the Word. And number four is there's power in the Holy Spirit. And there is grace for salvation. If you know those five things, I'm telling you, your life can be everything that you desire it to be. Because it takes all five of those at work in your life. But here we got this story. This rich man dies and goes to hell. Poor man dies, goes to heaven. And that's the way the story ends. There was not another chance. There was no way to turn it around. One went to heaven and one went to hell. And the Bible says in Matthew 25, 35, the place that was created for hell, or 41, the place that was created for devil and angels, there are going to be believer people that thought they were believers going to go to hell, even though they went to church, even though they brought, they're going to go to hell where the demon and the devils are. And that's just the truth. But I'm here to tell you today, it don't have to be that way. It don't have to be that way. I'm standing before you today firmly knowing that I'm going to be in heaven one day. And I'm standing here firmly knowing this as well. So are my daughters. So are my wife. So are my parents. So are my brothers and sisters. And I'm not saying that because I'm holding on to a promise. Because let me tell you something. The promises in the Bible are always conditions on your walking of the Word. You can take hold of a scripture here. It says, that we're about to read, it says, As for me and my household... But the thing about it is, if you're not doing your part, faith without works is dead. So when you walk out of here today, I want to give you five things that you can do that are probably the most important thing you can do in your life to make sure your kids, your loved ones, and your family go to heaven when you get there. One of the greatest conversions I had in my life as a, as a Christian was I was growing up and I wasn't serving the Lord real well. I didn't want to be Christian anymore, really. I, I grew up in church and I felt like it was being crammed down my throat. I remember one of the first times I heard God speak to me was about this thing. And what was happening was I'd gotten in trouble about a lot of stuff and my parents were getting on to me. Man, and I, I have the highest regards for the way my dad lives. I'm not tooting his horn. I'm just saying he's the holiest man I know. God saved him from so much when he was young that he spent the rest of his life being everything and as being as holy as he could possibly be. He wanted to, he lives his life to thank God for the change that he made him. And I'm going to be honest with you, my dad's not perfect, but he's about as close as a person as I've ever met. All right. And there was a day that I was, I was about as far from being perfect as you could be. And I heard God speak to me one day and say, is your dad going to heaven? And I said, yeah, for sure. If anybody's going to heaven, I would say my dad is. And then I heard God say, why would you ruin it for him? And I didn't understand what he was saying at first. And then, man, tears just began to pour down my eyes. Because I got to thinking, what would ruin heaven for my father? My dad has given his whole life to serving the Lord and sharing the Lord and doing what God's called him. But what would change 
Heaven, heaven's supposed to be everything he dreamed of. But I'm here to tell you this. If my dad goes to heaven, the Bible's very clear in this story saying that we will recognize one another in heaven. The rich man recognized Lazarus. Uh, he also recognized Abraham. We recognize people. When my dad gets to heaven, I can tell you this. He's going, when I get there, he's going to have his arms folded at the gate, waiting for all six of his kids to walk through the gate as well. And the thing about it is, that's what will make heaven, heaven for him. Is when his kids walk into eternity in heaven the way God intended for it. But this is what would happen if my dad was in heaven and one of us didn't make it. It would have the ability to destroy the rest of my dad's eternity. Do you think my dad could ever enjoy heaven if he was there and he knew one of us was in hell? What would that do to his eternity? What would that do to what the gold on the streets look like? What would that do to the pearls on the gates? It would suck all the joy because if he was in heaven and we weren't, then he would know where we were. And this is what the Lord said. I said, well, then God, why would you... Why would you make it possible for me to be able to ruin his heaven? And God said, I wouldn't. That's why the Bible says, I wipe away the tears of the believers. I want you to know something. We have the ability to destroy someone's heaven, but God's not going to let it weigh that way. If I didn't go to heaven and my dad did and he knew I was in hell, it would break my dad's heart. But the Bible promises God will come up. Jesus will wipe away the tears. And to wipe away the tears means... He would have to wipe my memory out of my father's head. Or I always know where I am. For him to enjoy heaven, God's going to have to wipe me out. And that was torture to me at that point. And that's when I turned to the Lord and said, God, well, then I want to go to heaven. Because I didn't want to ruin his heaven too. Does that make sense? And so I'm here to tell you this. Heaven's real. And if you're not going, then your eternity is going to be horrible. But what's even worse than that is if the ones you love don't go. And you get there and you're waiting and you're looking and they don't show. You need to know where they are now. But you need to know this before you get there. They don't have to go there either. I want to read you another story real quick and then I'm going to get into five points and we're done. (laughs) All right. In Acts chapter 16, this is what it says. It says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I wish I had time to break all this down because you need to understand the way you serve the Lord, there are people in bondage that are watching. It matters. This story starts this way. It says they were worshiping God and those that were bound were watching and listening. Man, this ain't just about you. And it said this, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison awoke from his sleep. Seeing that the prison doors were open, supposed that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Isn't that amazing that when the world loses hope, they turn to suicide? That hadn't changed. There's, you know, I was reading today that there's 130 people in America today that's going to commit suicide. One in every 12 minutes. You say, well, that was just some way. One in every 12 minutes, a U.S. veteran that fought in a war somewhere commits suicide in America right now. Man, the world has no hope. They have no hope. That's why God put you here. 
and put me here because we're to bring hope into a world that doesn't have any hope. And here it is. This guy was doing a job and, man, everything on his job was going wrong. And he was failing at doing what he was supposed to be doing. And the only hope he had was to kill himself. But he didn't realize that if he killed himself, he was about to walk into eternity in hell. And even though failing on earth is a bad thing, going to hell is a worse thing. He would have been better staying and failing than taking his life and going to hell. But the Bible says that God put Paul and Silas in his way. And Paul hollered, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. That's what your job is in your family. That's what your job is at your work. That's what your job is at your school. That's what your job is to step into a dark situation and cry that there is help and hope for what your people around you are going through. That prison, that, that prison guard was going to kill himself had not a Christian spoke up that everything's going to be okay. Listen, you as a believer... Don't have the right to stay quiet on your job. There are people dying and going to hell. You better start talking about there's a better life. There's a better way. Jesus gave his, his everything so that you could live a life. You better start speaking up because it's not okay for Christians to keep their mouth shut. Because people are dying and going to hell when you do. And it said here, he says, don't hurt yourself. And then what it says is, and then he called from a light, he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then this is where I want to get to today. He said, God, I want to be saved. But then the next couple of chapters tell us what God's plan for salvation in your life and my life is. God's plan for salvation is for you to be saved and for your eternity to go to heaven. But it's not to stop there. Read this. It says, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then it says this, You and your household. Now let me clear this up real quick. Just because daddy saved or mama saved, our grandma saved doesn't mean everybody in that family is saved. What this scripture means is this, that once you are saved, God plans on using you to reach them. You need to understand this. God wants to use you to reach them. A lot of people want to grab onto this, say, when I'm saved, my whole household is going to be saved and I don't got to do nothing. God did it all. Faith without works is dead. Then he breaks down the rest of the story and gives us five things. He says this, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in the house. And they took them that same hour of that night and washed their stripes. And there immediately he and his whole family were baptized. And when they had brought them into this house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God and all of his household. I want to give you parents... Husbands, wives, co-workers, five things and five responsibilities you need to take on this year that will change your family's destiny and eternity. Okay, if you're just waiting on God to do it, God's waiting on you to understand that God has a plan. And when you walk out the plan, God keeps his word. Number one, that before his family was saved, it says they believed. What you believe about God is one of the most important things you can give time, energy, and effort to. Your belief in who God is, 
your belief in what God can do, your belief in what God has the authority to do, all comes down to your faith. God, Jesus said this, God can, if, if only you can believe, there's nothing that's impossible. Me putting energy and time and effort into working on my belief systems is the greatest thing I can do for my family when it comes to eternity and salvation. The more I, and you say, well, how do I get my beliefs right? You get to know God better. When you get to know God better, your belief systems begin to change. The closer you get to God, the more right your belief systems are. And so, as believers, if you want to make sure that your family is saved, you need to make sure you know what you believe. And I'm going to be honest with you, that takes work. That takes work. That means you've got to read your Bible. That means you've got to find out what God's Word says about things. You've got to go to church. See, one of the main purposes we come in here today is, is yes, for you to sing and we worship God, and yes, for us to be together, and yes, for us to honor God, but one of the most important things is for God to impart inside of us this thing called faith that we can walk out into the world and make a difference outside therein. You should never come to church and not expect your faith to grow. You should never have the Word in your life come in and you not hold on to it and it begin to change the way you believe about things. Your belief system determines the life level or the life that you live and what you have. He says they first believed. So me working and knowing and coming to church and being taught and hearing the Word is super important. But read what it said this. It says, this it says, And they spoke the Word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. You need to know this. Real quick, I'm bringing out the point. Number one, you've got to believe. You have to believe. Number two, you need to have your family in church with you. It said here next, it said that they believe, but then it said this. They brought their family to hear the word too. I want you to know something. If you're in here, husband, and hunting's more important to you during hunting season than going to church with your wife, you're missing out on the principle of household salvation. It says they heard the word together. You sitting and hearing and being taught the word of God as a family. Going another step. You making the word of God a part of your life at home as much as just at church is important. If you aren't praying together as a family, if you're not praying together as a couple, if you're not doing family devotions at least one point in a week, you can come to church and you can hear the word. But this story says the centurion, the soldier here made sure that his family was with them when the word was taught. I'm telling you, there's no, uh, there should never be an option for parents that your kids choose whether you go to church today or not. That's not on the table at my house. It was never on the table when I was growing up. Church was not an option. They said, Sunday? I never had to ask mom and dad, are we going to church today? Uh, If I got up on Sunday, I was going to church, all right? If I didn't die through the night, church was on the plate. Because my parents knew what it would take for salvation for our family. And you need to know something. Parents, grandparents, you should never come to sit under the Word of God and not do everything you can do to get your family to sit under the Word of God on the same time and at the same level that you're at. You, it's not, you're not enough 
just doing it by yourself because your salvation won't get them to heaven. Your salvation is going to be the door that God will use to bring them into salvation. But it's going to take you inviting and making sure the Word of God is a part of their life as a family together. Did I make sense with that? Alright, then it said this. It says, they, they spoke the Word of the Lord to Him and all that were in the house. Man, there's never a time my mom and dad aren't telling me what the Bible says about what I'm going through. I want you to know, you say, well, they get tired of hearing it. I want you to know, say it till they get tired of hearing it. Now, you might can say it different than what you've been saying it. Because I can say, I love you, and I can say, I love you. The same words, but be totally different. But it never needs to quit being said. You need to speak the word. Speak the word. But some of us need to learn to speak the word with love. Others to speak the truth with love. And so you can put, you can say it wrong <laughs> and still be right, but you need to say it right. And, and say what's right. Next it said this. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Now, families, if you want household salvation, this is a super important step that you can't overskip or miss. It said this. At that hour, meaning it wasn't convenient. It was not a good time. It, they actually, they had to put sleeping. It was midnight, remember? They had to put sleeping to the side. And this jailer knew it was important enough to do that to make sure that his family was able to have compassion on people that were going through something less fortunate than them. Meaning this, if you want the promises of household salvation, then you need to teach and create an atmosphere and environment that you help people and help the people that are going through stuff, even if they don't deserve it. Paul and Silas at this moment were prisoners. You know, why would they be being, their wounds be taken care of by the prison guard? Because that's not what his job was. They, they were in prison, obviously, because they deserved to be in there. They'd done something wrong. And that's what the enemy tries to do a lot of times in Christian families, is us begin to sit back and pass judgment on people that are less fortunate than us. And it takes the empathy away that God wants us to have for others that are going through certain situations. Constantly through the Bible, the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. Man, if you find yourself in a place where you're not moved with compassion, when people have less fortune, you need to check the condition of your heart. Because the heart of Jesus, He never just hung out with well people. And He was never sick. But He was constantly, the Bible says, moved with compassion for those that were sick. Moved with compassion for those that were hungry. Moved with compassion. And that is something I want to tell you, parents, that you have to teach your children. Because whatever and however you think and feel about other people, your children inherit from you. Let me just ask you this. How many of you guys have been driving down the road, you saw somebody standing on the side of the corner holding a sign they made of cardboard that says, Please help whatever, 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 and you looked at their age and thought, and they could get a job. You ever done that? All right. Let me be clear with you. Do you know where you got that from? Somebody taught you that. Somebody taught you that. Let me, let me, let me go real plain, real quick. All right. The story of the gospel, I says, kingdom of heaven is like this. A man goes on a journey and he gets beat up by robbers. Did you know in that story, it never said that the guy that got beat up was saved? Never said that he was doing right. Never said that what he did for the rest of his life was any good. But what it did say was the man that was like the kingdom of God cared about him and paid and helped and had compassion for him and took care of him when he was in need. I want you to know something. 
if I want my kids to serve the Lord and be saved in the future, then I have to choose to have the heart of Christ for others right now. It's called empathy. And if you don't care about what other people are going through, that tells me this, that your heart is not connected to the heart of God because the Bible said it is not the will of God that any should perish. And that person sitting on the side of the road with that sign, with the ability to work, may not should be doing that, but the thing about it is God didn't tell me to worry about that. God just told me to care about Him. And so when I care about the unfortunate, or those that have less than me, and I care about, I make it a part of my life that if nobody else loves them, I will. If nobody gives to them, I will. If no one is concerned about them, I will be. My kids will see the heart of God in me. And they will inherit what's in me to where they will be able to connect at the same level. I used to pull up and think, man, I'm not giving that guy no money. He can get a job. I work for my money too. And the Lord said, that's not what I told you to do. So then I had to train myself to give them money. Anytime I had it, I pulled it, wrote it, and I would give to them. Because I had to purposely, I, it's not my job whether or not they do right with that. My job was to care about what their situation was. Here at this point, it says, these people cared about the wounds, their current situation, not their future eternity. So if you want your household saved, you need to make a part. Every Christmas we sit down with our kids, not because we're super spiritual, but because we're trying to walk this thing out. We try to find a family every Christmas that we can give to as if they were our own kids because they are less fortunate or they have less than we do. Not because I'm that spiritual. It's because I want my kids to learn to care for people that have been wounded and hurt because it's one of the steps for household salvation. All right, what I care, if I care about what God cares about, God will care about what I care about. Does this make sense? Number four. We're almost done. Number four is this. It says, and all of his household were baptized. This is super important. What baptism is, is an external work, an external act for an internal work. And what I believe this step here is this. For my family, that means that what God did on the inside of me I live that out, not just at church, but at home too. In other words, the internal work is shown by an external expression. And they were at home, they were not at church. There's a lot of times we come and we worship God in church, but we go home and we cuss when the lawnmower breaks down. There's a lot of times when we, you know, we'll be sweet and friendly and nice to everybody that we know that things were saved, but man, we will chew our wife and kids out like they were heathens and dogs. I want you to know something. If your external work is not the same of the internal work while you're at church as it is at home, you're not living a life that your children... Do you know the number one reason why people say they don't go to church? Because it's full of hypocrites. It's full of hypocrites. And dad, mom, if you think it's okay to live one way at home, but let everybody else in the world think you're living another way, I want you to know you might be okay with that, but it's affecting the little hands and the little feet that you have living in your house and connected to your life. You know, so be careful, little eyes, where you go. Our little what you see, be careful, little feet, where you go. The song should be, be careful, big eyes. 
what you watch. Be careful, big hands, what you touch. Be careful, big feet, where you go. Because there's some little feet behind that will follow if you just give it time. You better be careful. So this baptismal thing is me saying that, man, I gave my heart and I repented and I gave my life to Jesus on Sunday. And on Monday, I can't act like I usually do. i got to act like Jesus saved my life and changed who I am. Because the way you live at home will affect the salvation that your children will walk out. It says they were baptized. They were willing to show outside what God had done on the inside. And this is the last one. It says, he says, the jailer brought them to the house and set a meal before them. Really, there's two, and I'm going to add them together here. This is what I believe is one of the most important. I've never seen this fail out of the 27 years I've been pastoring. And I didn't learn. I wasn't smart enough to get this on my own. My parents taught me this. And I truly believe that's why I'm one of six. And all six kids today are serving the Lord, which is a huge miracle because there was a day that some of us weren't. But it said this. It says that they served as a family together. Let me tell you something. There's more God expects out of you than just attending church. And attending church is good. And attending church and coming is a good thing. But God has called you to be great here in this church. And the Bible says to be great in the kingdom of God is to be the servant of all. You not just attending a church and belonging to a church and you being saved, but you actually stepping up and serving in the kingdom of God as a servant has such ripple effects that it affects your entire household salvation. This dad understood. He could have just brought them the food, but he didn't. He said, kids, as believers and as Christians, our job is to serve the Lord. And it's not just something dad does on the usher team, and it's not just something mom does on the praise team, but as a family, we're going to serve the Lord. And he did whatever. i got to be honest. you ever cooked a meal with your kids? I'm one of those D personalities that, man, I'd rather do it by myself because that way I know it gets done right. All right? But when my kids are at this age now, they're wanting to cook. And when they cook, it means I'm going to have to clean for 30 extra minutes. All right? And that's aggravating. So a lot of times I'm like, no, but I know they need to learn to cook because cooking will be a part of their future as they grow older. All right? Serving in church and serving in the kingdom of God is so important that if it's not a part of their future, I want you to know, I've never met anybody that served the Lord and was everything God wanted to be without them serving in the kingdom of God somewhere. And that's not just normal. That doesn't just happen by accident. The reason why you find people that know how to serve the Lord in the kingdom of God is because somebody taught them how to serve the Lord and how important it was for them. So this is what I learned from my dad growing up. My dad never worked for a church and we just attended. My dad worked for a church and he always had a job at that church for us as kids, no matter what age we were, to deal and be a part of. And I remember, you look back at the old pictures of Victory and see when we used to do passion plays and things like that. They would put me and my brother sitting there with the, the mullet haircut and all that kind of stuff on the pictures, running spotlights. I can't remember a time in my life that there wasn't a place in the house of God my dad didn't have a serving somewhere. 
And the thing about it is, as I got older, me learning to serve God because He's God and serving His kingdom has become one of the anchors in my life that has kept me serving the Lord going forward. Let me explain it to you a little bit better. Hopefully you can understand. I told this in the early service. Pull my pants up. I just don't want to make any of y'all think it's nighttime. All right? But um, about three years ago, Jamarius, see him right up there? Look up at him. About three years ago, he, uh, he, he, he had a Facebook page. And he didn't have a shirt on. He was wearing white jeans. And he was doing this number right here on his profile page. All right? If you don't know what this is, this is called the prison post. I, I, that's what they call the prison post. And that was on his profile picture. I remember it distinctly. And I was when the church was just getting in Facebook and all that, and I was learning it. I put it, I said, ooh, Jen, look at that. I said, I, I pray that's not prophetic in his life. He's cast in a prison post. And that was right about the time, I'm just going to be honest with you, that his grandma, Sister Doris, and I asked if I could share this with him, started seeing the world had a stronger hold on Jamarius than the church and God did. And she started making major steps and major things. She made rules that, oh no, if you're going to come to church, you're going to get in here and you're going to be and you're going to do something while you're here. And she made the little boy start serving, right, Jamarius? She'd make you come. She'd say, I'm a, you know, I'll let you do what you want to do, but on Sundays you're going to serve God. And she'd make him come here and clean and do. And eventually he shifted up to the to the sound booth. And, you know, over the course of the sound booth, he's learned to run all that and do all that. And he makes a lot of this stuff take place and happen. And that's awesome. But you know what's even more important to that than me? Three years ago, I saw the picture myself and it was basically prophetic. The world was pulling harder on him than the house of God had a hold. But then his grandmother made sure that he was serving in the house of God. Even if he wanted to, it didn't matter. He was going to be here and he was going to learn to serve the Lord. I got a call last week. We were discussing the school term this year at Victory Christian School. And this is what I was told. You know, we're so glad Jamarius is here. He's one of the strongest Christians and greatest influences for God that we have in this school. And I'm here to say, I'll give honor where honors due. That would not have happened. By circumstance, statistics would have said the world would have got him and pulled him out. But see, his grandmother said, I don't care what the world does, he's going to serve the Lord. And as long as I have authority in his life, I'm going to make sure he serves the Lord. And she made him do what he didn't want to do. And today, he is what she's been praying for years he would be. I'm telling you. You don't have to agree with my sermon here today. But these principles are written in the in the Word of God. As for me and my house, the whole household was saved. They did these five things. They did five things. And is it inconvenience? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But are they worth it? Is their eternity to be in heaven worth it? I tell you, the real reason why there's a Victory Christian School today is because, you know, 29 years ago, my parents said that the world was putting in cricket more in five days than we could get out of him in two. So they had to start a Christian school just so I would be saved. Man, you doing what it takes for your children to serve the Lord, know the Lord, to be in His presence and be changed. The promise is, once you taste Him, you can't get enough of Him. And I'm here to tell you, God's plan is for your household to be saved.
I've never seen anything cause more traumatic stress in a family's life than them having an unsaved family member. I have prayed with more people over their family members coming to know Christ than I have probably any other over healing, finance, or anything. And I so want to tell them, well, this is not just a prayer thing. This is an action thing, too. You've got to start taking actions. You've got to start doing these five things because if you'll do these five things, the promise is your house will be saved. And I'm here to tell you this. Your kids' future... Their destiny is worth you coming to church on Sunday with them. Your kid's future, their destiny and eternity is worth you getting involved somewhere. Man, I say I love to see when Leah gets up here and her daughter plays the drums. I love to see that because you know what that tells me? There's going to be a day that Leah's not going to have to worry. Do my kids know the Lord or they know the promises her and her household would be saved? You know, when you find people that are willing to Make sure their families are a part. I gotta be honest with you. I wish, I've said this a lot of times in vision meetings, I wish every usher had their kid ushering with them. I wish every children worker had their children worker working with them. I wish every pray, I love it when Leah's daughter stands right here and sings with her. Because this is that story. It says, and they serve the Lord together and their whole household would be saved. It's not coincidence, I'm telling you, that every one of their daughters go to Bible college. That's not by, ooh, luck of the draw. They chose, I mean, God gave them some good kids. No, I know their kids. All right, they're kids. And this family has loved them enough to do these five things. I've watched them over the years. And now their kids are all that have made it into adult are serving the Lord. There is a promise you can hold on to. You can quit living in fear and wasting all those tears on those pillows about, God, let my kids just come to know you. And you start doing your part. You start doing your part. You start living the work that God's done in your heart outside here and in here. All right? You start knowing and find out what the Word of God says. And you begin to believe what the Word of God says it says in your life. You start serving the Lord. And then this is super important. Family, I want to tell you this. If you, this is one that you got to have. It says, and they rejoice together. There's so many people that take the mentality of church... And the mentality of serving the Lord home and speak of it in a negative light. For years, I'd have people call me and say, Cricket, would you go talk to my so-and-so because they're just away from the Lord? And I've honestly used this several times. There's no sense in me going to talk to them because you've been running the church down and us down for years. They believed everything you've said. So there's no way I'm going to convince them of anything else. I'll pray with you over it. Yeah, they're done doing it good. See, the the prison guy says he rejoiced with them. Parents, the greatest thing you can do for your children is let them see how amazing it is to serve the Lord. I want you to know, if you go griping about your church and your walk with the Lord and what you got to do and what you can't do at work to your co-workers, why would any of your co-workers want to serve God? Why would they ever want what you have? But you got to learn to enjoy what God has done for you. You say, Craig, I don't got anything to enjoy. You're not going to hell. You should enjoy that. You know, you, you've got a family and a church that uh, the world doesn't have. They don't understand what it is to belong to something stronger than a blood connection. You've got that. You can tell me whether I go through hell or high water, I got a church family going with me through it. I mean, you got to start speaking, rejoice in life about your walk. There's more Christians that gripe about having to pay tithes than they ever 
praise about the blessings that God's brought them. If there's no joy in their, your walk with the Lord, your children will not serve the Lord that you serve. I'm being honest with you. Am I making everybody mad? <laughs> that first service wouldn't speak to me at all. all right? I just figured it's because they didn't have kids or they didn't care if their kids went to heaven. All right? But I'm saying these matter. Of all the things that I've learned out of the Word of God over the years, this message is one that I try to live by daily. Because now life is more than just me. And it's more than if I die and go to heaven. I've got three daughters. I've got a wife. I've got five brothers and sisters. And I've got a whole church that I know this. The way I live will affect where they live in eternity. And if I don't take this responsibility seriously, then I may get to heaven one day and I may blame God for not saving my kids and getting them to heaven. But I'll know they're spending eternity in hell. And I'll try to put the responsibility back on God. But there's an old play that goes like this. There was a guy went to heaven. And I'm close with you. guy went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, angel opened the book and said, Where's your name, please? And he gave his name. And he flipped the book open and said, Boom. There it is. Come on in. Enjoy your reward. The next guy steps up to the angel. angel says, Name. He gives him his name. The angel flips the book open and says, I can't. I'm sorry. Your name's not in here. You cannot enter. He goes, what do you mean my name's not in there? Man, I went to church. I gave him the offering. I love my neighbor. I even sent money to a mission field. And what do you mean my name's not in there? And then he just says, it's not about those things that you did. It comes down to, did you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe he gave his life for your sin, that it covered your sin? He rose again so that now you can live and you will be saved. Did you ever do that? And he said, no. But I would have if somebody would have just told me. So nobody ever told me it's not my fault. You you know, say you can't punish me for something I didn't know. It ain't my fault. It ain't my fault. And the guy behind him was being a nosy busybody. I don't know if you guys ever do that. I do that. I'm sitting in line and hear what's going on up here. He said, man, that's not that's right. It's not fair. It's not his fault. It's not his fault that he didn't know. He would have done it if he had known. And the angel looked over the gentleman standing at the gate shoulders and said, you're right. It's not his fault. It's yours. Because I put you in his life to make a difference. And if you're not willing to make the difference, I want you to know you might make it to heaven. But I can tell you, there'll be people you love that may not. And it will affect your eternity. Because they've walked into it, not living out the plan that God had laid out for them. I want to pray with you real quick. If you're here today and you say, Cricket, I don't have that confidence you're talking about. I don't know if I'm going to heaven if I die today. I want to get that cleared up with you real quick. I want to get your name put in the Lamb's Book of Life so that we can say that us and our whole church was saved. Amen. Not just our whole church. If you're here today, you say, Cricket, I need to get some things right with God. Just simply raise your hand. I want to pray with you. It's that simple. It is that simple. It says, and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were saved. I want to pray with you. Okay, just put your hands down. Simply, there were several hands. Don't worry about it. Just pray with Say, Dear Father. I ask you to forgive me for any and every thing that has separated me from you. I accept that you sent your son to pay the price for me. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I also believe that he raised again on the third day. And today I ask you, Lord, to become Lord of my life and save me in Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen. Look at me. Give these a hand clap. They just got saved. It's off the table now, guys. Your eternity is set. Now what I want to do is this. I want to pray over here for here. If you say cricket, I ask God to begin to use me to affect my world. And I ask God to begin to use me to save my family and my kids and my mother and my father. I don't want any of my kids to perish. Lord, I know it's your will. Your word says that it's not the will of God that any should perish. And so you make the commitment to the best of your ability to do these five things that guarantees, the word says, your family will be saved. One is to believe. Two is to Make sure the Word of God is a part of your life at home, at work, at school. You bring it into your life. The Bible says Obadiah brought in the Ark of the Covenant into his house, and his house was blessed and prospered every day that it was there. The Word of God has never hurt any home. It's always made it better. You want a good marriage? Put the Word of God in. You want finance? Put the Word. So you're going to make a commitment to bringing the Word of God into your life. All right, number three is, it says they wash wounds. You're going to begin to care for the people that God cares for. You're going to have compassion and empathy for people that aren't on the same level maybe that you are. And you're going to ask God to use you to help change their situation. And then it says this, it says they were all baptized. You quit living to use. I say it like that to a guy the other day. He goes, man, I want to go to church with y'all, but I mean, I won't be able to cuss while you're there. I said, no, come and cuss. I'd rather you be you at church so God will know who he needs to save, all right? Now, if you're going to cuss at home, cuss at church. Don't play both sides of the fence. At least we'll know we need a witness to you. All right, don't be bad there and good here and play church. That's a, what a waste of time. Man, get baptized. Let the outward work show the inward work on the inside. And then it said this. It says, and they serve the Lord together. Today, you're going to walk out of here and make a decision to serve God somewhere. You're either going to get involved in kids' church, ushers, greeters, food prep. You're going to get involved in life groups and small groups. And you're going to decide that my commitment to God's house has the power to affect what God does with my kids in the future. And you're going to get happy about serving the Lord and quit looking at it as a regret. And anytime you wake up and think, I've got to go to church today, you have missed the joy of the Lord of your salvation. And the good David said this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house. Why? Because he was so overjoyed of his salvation that it, he couldn't wait to go and be a part of what God has done. Let me pray with you. And then we're going to do this. Pastor Jerry's coming up. Remember we talked about marked with the seal. We're going to send our kids into school this week. Amanda, you go ahead and bring it. We're going to pray over every one of them. But even going to the next level. I want to pray and anoint every single person in here today. I felt like the Lord told me that we're to mark, mark, just like it said, with a symbol, which is the anointing is a symbol of an anointing of the Holy Spirit on a life. And what the anointing does, the anointing empowers, supernaturally empowers you to walk out a natural way of living. Does this make sense? When you're anointed, you can do things you couldn't do in the natural because now you have supernatural abilities to work. So I want to pray over every single... I want, to, I want to pray, I want to anoint every husband in here to be a better husband. Every wife to be a better wife. Every child to be marked and covered by the anointing and the mark of the Holy Spirit. And the mark of the kingdom of God when they go into school. Every co-worker, every person that lives in... You're to walk out and be different. You're to walk out and be marked. Does that make sense? You're to walk out and represent... 
A God that saved you from hell can save them from hell too. 